Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you here on Friday, February the 17th. This week, the UK government's controversial health and social care bill. In a moment, we're going to hear from the author of her viewpoint concerning NHS productivity, which should turn a major assumption about declining NHS performance in the previous decade upside down. Also to mention, in response and opposition to the proposed legislation from the UK government, we published letters online on February the 15th by Alison Pollock and colleagues from University College London, and on February the 17th from members of the Royal College of Paediatricians and Child Health, who are calling for the government's bill to be withdrawn. We also editorialise on this topic in the current issue of The Lancet, dated February the 18th to the 24th. But let's now hear from Nick Black from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Professor Black, many thanks indeed for, for talking to The Lancet. It caused a little bit of a ripple at the beginning of this week, didn't it? This um, Basically, your viewpoint is saying that a central assumption about NHS performance had basically been misinterpreted. Is that right? That is correct, yes. I mean, one of the reasons that the government that came into power in, in Britain in May 2010 had for looking to reform the health service was very serious criticism of the previous decade that from really from around about 2000 to 2009 the productivity of health care had fallen by about 0.4 of a percent a year the, the actual figure isn't that important and this had been accepted or rather hadn't really been challenged by the uh, outgoing government that was responsible during that period and the figure was based on some work that some very bright economists had done in the middle of the decade, around uh, 2005, using the, the data that they had available then. And even though their report was very cautious, and they themselves said that the, uh, their estimate was far from perfect and that it should be treated with great caution, when the report got into the political process, there's two key committees in England, the National Audit Office and the Public Accounts Committee, these are parliamentary committees with great authority, they chose, as so often happens, to ignore the warnings and this figure of declining productivity sort of became set in stone and is banded around all the time. And so what I did was to re-examine it, partly to look at the method that had been used, but also with the benefit of better data, particularly from national clinical audit databases that we have available now. Have you the benefit, if you like, of, of a longer follow-up time? So are you actually looking at newer data than the National Audit Office were able to do when they produce this report? Partly that, although all, they, they did continue to update their 2005 estimates, but they didn't change their method, so they continued to use and rely on the same data that they had, had used back then. But in fact, we have some very accurate data now, not covering the whole of healthcare, but covering some key aspects. So, for example, I was able to uh, show in the article that, um, or first of all, population mortality has fallen 2.5% a year, such that a child born in 2009 can expect to live three years longer than a child born in 2000. Now, whilst healthcare isn't entirely responsible for that, it's partly responsible. And then if you start looking at um, uh, survival rates in specific areas of healthcare, we see, again, really dramatic improvements over that decade. So, for example, uh, adult intensive care mortality um, fell 
uh, 2.4% a year, over 20% over that decade. Dialysis mortality fell 3.3% a year um, and surviving a heart attack. A staggering 5.3% decline in mortality year on year. I mean, these are dramatic. Then you add in improvements in what patients tell us about their experience of care, how long they have to wait, whether or not they get admitted to a single-sex ward and, and other aspects of the humanity of care. And they also improved steadily over that decade. What I argue is that only allowing point eight of one percent a year for improvements in quality is insufficient. You only have to allow 1.3%, so an extra 0.5 of a percent a year, and the verdict of declining productivity switches to increasing productivity. It's a very much a sort of knife-edge decision anyway, and that with all the data we've got, it seems most unlikely, can't be absolutely certain of anything of this nature, but that only allowing less than 1% for improvements in quality each year is just woefully inadequate. I mean, to me, it just sounds like an obvious case of borderline statistical significance that has been misinterpreted for political reasons. I mean, you could apply this statistical issue to where we look at statistical significance. Is that basically the case? I mean, it is really about, about the level of confidence one has. I mean, ultimately, it's probably impossible to measure productivity accurately in the way that we're used to, say, in drug trials or something, because it's easy to measure the costs, the amount of money going into health care. It's relatively easy to measure the quantity of care, the number of operations, uh, consultations, and so on. The really difficult bit is how do you combine that quantity with the improvements in quality? Because it's really chalk and cheese. It's highly contested whether that can be done, and if so, it probably depends on people's value judgments. How much do you value an extra quality adjusted life year or how much do you value a life saved how much do you value the fact that you now have say 15 minutes with a doctor and leave the consultation reassured with having five minutes and feeling that the consultation wasn't satisfactory these are things that are really difficult to measure in any way that we would all agree if it was clear that productivity had fallen 20 percent a year then it probably would be true that productivity had fallen. When a government is talking about a fall of 0.4 of 1%, you can't be confident that that's happened. And actually, on the balance of evidence, I'd say that the evidence pointed, it's much more likely that productivity actually rose. And presumably one important aspect here is that in trying to assess performance of an enormous institution like the National Health Service, you can only realistically l look at that over a, a decent length of time. Because what the previous government tried to do in terms of the money they put into the NHS is a bit like turning an oil tank around in the ocean, isn't it? You can't get a quick answer. That's right. I mean, it doesn't, you know, and even the, you know, the sort of way I was just describing of how, how you might measure productivity. In addition, there's the lead time. You build hospitals that are going to be ben beneficial for many decades. You carry out preventive programs of screening and immunization. And the benefits in terms of patient outcomes will accrue over decades so you have to spend money to get benefits later, and those aren't taken into account as improvements in productivity.
I notice, intriguingly, in your viewpoint, you say that this issue that we're discussing now is just one recent example of the creation of a myth in public health. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting but slightly depressing sentence. Can you give other examples of, of how myths are created in public health? Well, not so much public health as health services, I was thinking. The classic area is international comparisons of performance. So again, in this country, and I'm sure there's similar ones in other countries, it is almost accepted as a fact that, say, cancer survival rates are worse in England than they are in many of our sort of comparable European countries or Australia, New Zealand, and so on. And it's based on very dodgy data. I think all we can say is we don't know. But that has become, again, a fact that politicians of all persuasions accept that cancer care in England is not as good as it is in other countries. But it's based on, as I say, uh, spurious data. data. Spurious data. And that would be another current example that has enormous traction on policymakers and leads to really major policy decisions, such as how much you allocate to different areas of health care, in that case, cancer care. Which is not to say that we shouldn't spend more on cancer care, but to do it on the basis that our results are so much worse than um, other European countries is not justified. really makes me think that what the lesson from all of this is that in terms of communicating reality and truth about health data, there needs to be a much better mechanism of translating the kind of finding the data findings from the Office of National Statistics, the data that you were look, looking at, to the opinion formers and the politicians, because it's just a huge leap going on, an in, inaccurate leap going on, isn't there? Yes, and I mean, if you'd come back to the, the productivity example, it goes from the economists who do their best, they're very bright and able, and given all the limitations, that's the best that, that could be done. It's not a criticism of them. But then it goes straight to policymakers. And in between, those of us who would feel that we actually have some knowledge and uh, insight and, and, and expertise in studying health services don't get to contribute and comment. And of course, it's perfectly understandable that, that lay policymakers, members of parliament with no expertise in the area under discussion, reasonably enough, accept that if these data have been presented to them, they must be true. And what's, what's needed, I think, in the policy process is independent assessment of a lot of the information that's put in front of policymakers. Do you think if the likes of Andrew Lansley and other key figures, obviously the Prime Minister is at the centre of this debate about the NHS bill. Do you think if they had had a better understanding of the data concerning NHS productivity, do you think we would be where we are now in terms of this embattled bill that's been slugged around Parliament? The very short answer is no because I think this is only one factor that was put up. I think the government was intent on making some radical changes and they, this was a useful piece of information, ammunition, to give a reason why. But I don't honestly think that they would have held their hand even if the received wisdom was that productivity had been increasing. You think the reforms, their reform agenda would have come about in any case? I do. Professor Nick Black on the line from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Many thanks for talking to The Lancet. Pleasure. Many thanks to Nick Black and to you all for listening. See you next time.